This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hey, this is John Lehman. Uh, I write Chew, and you are listening to Two-Headed Nerd Podcast with Joe and Matt. Ready? I'm ready. Too bad. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to THN episode 266. We're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, September 28th. My name is Matt Baum, and you can find me at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. Sitting right in front of me is the other head on this show, Mr. Joe Patrick. Hey, and my name is Joe Patrick. You can find me at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter, and of course, you can follow the show at TwoHeadedNerd, where I tweet... What are my thoughts yeah. about all sorts of things? In this week's episode, you're going to hear our reviews of Mask, Mobile, Armored, Strike, Command, with a K, Revolution, number one. I wish they would have written. That's a long-ass title. Know, right? <laughs> and T-Titans, Rebirth, number one. After that, we'll take our tough brand of justice to the streets when we review ten more of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Then, we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where Joe and I are focusing our cheese onto a thing of iron. And when you say it like that, it makes me think that we're doing something way different. <laughs> we're focusing our cheese. Oh, don't worry. Oh, right. <laughs> C-H-E-E. See, I should have made that joke. <laughs> and talking about next week's comics. And finally, our roving reporter, Ryan Mount, sits down for an interview with John Lehman to talk about the end of Chew and other things during our first guest edition of Ask a Nerd. But... Before we head out into the mean streets of Omaha to start dealing out street justice to the street urchins, let's shine up our on t- the streets. <laughs> let's shine up our tiaras and slip into our extremely deep V-necks, and then we can talk about this week's big news. We got big news. Hey, here's something up your alley, Matt Bomb. Right. IEW is throwing their hat into the pro wrestling comics ring. Okay, pro wrestling comics are not up my alley. I love hey, wrestling. Yeah, <laughs> but maybe they will be. In November, Boom will publish a one-shot title, WWE, then, now, forever, with the ongoing itself debuting in January. That is the uh, so- that's the opening to every wrestling. I'm wrestling. sure it, uh, it's all referential somehow. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. It appears that the title will adapt fictional storylines from WWE television programming, beginning with the dissolution of the group the shield that was rough for me in june 2014 the shield fell apart oh man that was rough for me here's the solicit wwe number one written by dennis hopeless and ross thibodeau with art by edward petrovich and rob guillory hey of chew fame we love him it's gonna be 32 pages full color 399 it kicks off in january each issue of WWE is going to feature your favorite superstars in stories that go beyond what you've been seeing on TV. The first story arc details the breaking of the shield. Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, Dean Ambrose, together they formed the shield, one of the most dominant factions in WWE history. They were the hounds of justice until the ultimate opportunist Seth chose to betray the group at the behest of Triple H, the King of Kings, the game who has the cerebral assassin <laughs> he's got a bunch of nicknames man who has cemented himself as the authority in control of wwe that's the longest goddamn sentence i've read well there was a lot going on that you need to know about now following a near career ending injury seth is back on the hunt for the wwe championship a journey that will send him on a collision course 
with his former brothers and with destiny. I added that part. Uh, it was, yeah. Come on. Uh, it's going to have backups uh, and with Kevin Owens. <laughs> It'll have backups every month. This month it has a backup story uh, starring the new day by Ross Thibodeau of mighty Morphin power Rangers fame and Rob Guillory of chew, which we mentioned Matt. I'm going to need you to translate pretty much all of this for me. Not a problem. I am what you call a smart, and a smart is a smart wrestling fan. A guy who understands the the business, the performance, all of it, and can see them working. You know what, what I mean? Is, what is the opposite of a smart? A mark. And a mark just thinks it's real? Some of them think it's real. Some of them just don't get why they're doing stuff, you know, stuff like that. They like it, but they're just like, whoa, what the hell? You know, you know what I mean? A smart is a smart wrestling fan. A guy who goes behind the scenes. Like, I listen to podcasts and stuff. Yeah, he's got I a pretty blogs, high opinion of stuff yourself. Like that. But what I'm saying is, <laughs> when they broke up the shield, it was wonderful. It was a, one of the best heel turns I've seen in a long time. And they played on it really huge. And at that time... So the shield was like the Justice League. Sort of. It was three guys. It was Dean Ambrose. So it was like the Fantastic Three. Sure. <laughs> it, they were a team. How's yeah. that? Okay. I'm so, trying to think of a team that has only three members. Don't worry about it. So the when Doom Patrol. Stop. <laughs> so when they broke them up, it was this huge heel turn. I mean, we knew there was going to be heel turns sooner or later because there always is. But it was great. And at that time. What's a heel turn for those of us that don't okay, know? A heel turn is when a good guy turns bad. And a heel is a bad guy. A baby face turns heel. Baby face is a good guy. Baby face is a good guy. Yeah. So they were sort of like these anti-heroes. They were super tough. They're beating the crap out of everybody. And then Seth saw his chance to become world champion and turned on his brothers. And it was a whole thing. So it's like when Hulk Hogan became like, uh, joined the NWO. Yeah. Yes. That was a heel. Hollywood Hogan. Yes, exactly. So I had to reach deep for that. in 2014. <laughs> the story driven wrestling was still working really well. And part of me goes, Oh, this is kind of fun. I like that. They're adapting this and not say doing like what Mick Foley did with his comic where it's like a hard hitting crime comic starring wrestlers. <laughs> yeah. Right. Dumb. But I feel like, we're getting further and further away from the story aspect of wrestling and more enjoying just the technical wrestling itself lately. Like if you look at like the cruiserweight challenge that happened recently, it was some of the best wrestling I've ever seen. And there's no bullshit. You bring a good guy out, bring a bad guy out, you go wrestle, bam. And I just don't know if wrestling comics work, period. I just don't think they work. I think this is the best team. I think a comic book about wrestlers works. Yes. Like ringside, ringside. is fantastic, but that's more of a slice of life. You know, that's about the, the actors, the reality the behind yeah. wrestling. Right. I don't know if this works with that said, this is the best team I've ever seen assembled to write a wrestling comic. Like the promo art that they showed looks really the good. It's beautiful. A an amazing likeness of the Triple H on the cover. Beautiful. I, yeah. I just don't know if it's going to work. I hope it does, but even like a huge wrestling guy like me, I I'll review it. I'm not paying money for this. <laughs> like I know where this goes. <laughs> I'm very hopeful for you. I hope it works out. Yeah, yeah. Joey, you're gonna love this. Marvel announced plans for a top secret one in one thousand variant by surprise superstar artist for their upcoming Venom relaunch, and you will never guess who they got to draw the cover. Um, Matt. That's right. None other than Venom co-creator and baseball enthusiast Todd McFarlane. Oh, hold on. Hold on, Matt. <laughs> the cover will mark the first time McFarlane's art has graced a Marvel comic since Matt. What? It's not a real cover. They just photoshopped the last panel of Amazing Spider-Man 299 and had Richard Eisenhoff 
add some new color to it. Whoa, 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 whoa. So McFarland didn't actually draw this. Yeah, he drew it 28 years ago. Wait a minute. I've seen this. Yeah. Are you kidding me? No. (laughs) (laughs) Newsarama reached out to McFarland for his reaction to this. And Todd said, quote, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The Todd. The Todd. Said, quote, someone from Marvel sent me an email to give me a heads up a couple days ago about it. Seems a bit odd to me, as you would expect original artwork on a cover, especially with such an anticipated book. But they get to make whatever decisions they deem fit. Though I have to tell you, I'm a much better artist today than that version of Todd that they're using. Debatable and not exactly humble. Uh, No, I mean, you have to give him that. Like that, his early, early, early issues, like that early interpretation of Venom is not Venom as we know it. Uh, Okay, okay, fine. Uh. And I could draw one wicked Venom that would be way cooler than that. What is he, still 14? But as a direct competitor to Marvel, it can't happen. Oh. I'm also flattered that they still want me to work for them 20 years later, end quote. God, he's such a jackass. <laughs> like, I'm on his side with how dumb this is, but what a jackass way to put it, you know? Yeah, yes. God. It's, Todd is nothing if not um, good at self-promotion. And an egotistical prick. Uh, but yeah, they so... Amazing Spider-Man 299, the last panel that shows Venom in full for the first time, they photoshopped out that figure and then threw it on a new background with and recolored it. I mean, they can do that. They one own it. in one thousand. Why would anybody do this? Well, let's get let's get to that. The real jackassery here is a one in one thousand variant, like meaning the- that the retailer has to order one thousand copies of Venom number one to get one issue of this very i mean that means the unless you're an absolute lunatic yeah. local shop owner this is sheer insanity only people only uh organizations like midtown and this isn't even the first one didn't they, didn't, are they doing one of like champions or something like that or yeah they are they yeah. are doing i, I mean like they've announced they Lord. i think they've started to announce more of them this is the only one that i saw the details of the real hilarious part of this is a year after this comes out watch what it's selling for on ebay because some schmuck is going to pay upwards of $900 for this. You watch. And then they'll be able to pick it up for 40 or 50 bucks. <laughs> you watch. We'll have the Orca keep an eye on it. Yes, most definitely. But I, the one in 1,000 thing I hate just on principle. It's just dumb. But the fact that they would just take old art and recolor it and say, here you go, suckers. I mean, now that just that to me, that's like them cutting yeah. you. Yes. And then pouring salt on it. Like we know that you, uh, we know we got you. Hey, there's still, there's still some self responsibility here in the person that's going to buy it. It's true, but I mean, who's going to be able to even order it other than like your big box online retailers? Well, which is why I say ignore it. Let's not get upset. Just ignore it. Don't play. Don't play. This is not even a good cover. The variant market is a joke to begin with. An absolute joke. If you want to collect variants, fine, feel free. But like, who can collect this? Outside of like the children of Saudi oil billionaires, you know, this is who like, are rolling their you know cars on YouTube because they, it's fun. This is like one of those uh, manufactured collectibles, I like when you're watching. That's a real thing. They huh. roll their sport utility vehicles. I don't doubt it. Uh, this is like one of those manufactured collectibles, like when you're watching TV late at night and you see a commercial for the Franklin Mint, right? And it's like the very rare whatever coin. 
encased in plastic, blah, blah, blah. And it's it costs like $39.99 for this coin. Right. Guess what? It's worth $39.99 forever. Right. It's worth what you paid Absolutely. for Absolutely. And you're never going to be able to sell This is it. the kind of shit that used to make me look through Diamond Comics and like find Godzilla collectibles that I wanted that were like $700. And I would scream out loud, who the f*** do these people think we are? <laughs> f*** you, Marvel. God damn it. <laughs> Well, it's that time again. Marvel Studios and Netflix have released the first season of the highly anticipated Luke Cage series starring Mike Coulter. The character made his television or cinematic. Like, I don't know what you call it when we were talking about Netflix. It's just called television. television. It's television. His television debut on Marvel's previous Netflix series, Jessica Jones. When a sabotage experiment gives him super strength and unbreakable skin, Luke Cage becomes a fugitive attempting to rebuild his life in Harlem and must soon confront his past and fight a battle for the heart of his city. The series also stars Marshala Ali as Cottonmouth Stokes, Alfre Woodard as Mariah Stokes, his cousin uh, in the comics. I believe she was black Mariah black Mariah and she had the most racist mammy dialogue you have ever read. It was horrible. <laughs> Eric LaRay Harvey as Diamondback, Frankie Faison as Pop, Simone Missick as Misty Knight, and of course, many others. Matt and I watched the first episode last night, and here we are, back to discuss it. Matt, what do you think so far? I want to start off by saying it was black as f**k. No messing around in your face, black. It's very unapologetic. It is. Yes, and I don't mean uh, cute blackish comedy on network TV. Though the show blackish is very good. Casey loves it. (laughs) I don't think. No, it is very good. I've heard it's very good. I've heard it's very good. But they are not like Uh, pulling any punches. They're not trying to appeal directly to white people's sense of what we think black people are. This is full on black experience. In the ghetto. Life in Harlem. Other minus the superpower stuff. Yeah. It is very few yeah. white characters. It I seems mean, very genuine. Very genuine. And I loved it. Even that was really good. Even the intro. Uh, hard okay. as man. The intro was like straight out of true detective season. I don't one. care. I don't care. With hip hop. With hip hop, yes. Yeah. Uh the soundtrack is great, of course. Oh man, it's awesome. Uh, the acting is is generally pretty good. Yeah. Um, and this is like this is like a flashback to the Luke Cage that I we saw Jessica Jones. I feel like this might be a prequel yes. to Jessica Jones. Like Luke goes from here to where he is in Jessica Jones. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know. Maybe maybe the whole thing is a prequel. Maybe the first few episodes are. I don't really know. Uh, yeah, I guess we don't know yet. But this but is definitely not the Luke Cage we met in Jessica Jones. In Jessica Jones, he owned the bar. Yeah. Um, here, this is like, this is pretty much... Right after he gets out of prison. Yeah, he's like cleaning the bar. He's cleaning the barbershop. Oh, that's right. Sorry, he's cleaning the barbershop. Oh, no, and he's doing dishes at the at, at the nightclub. Yes. Uh, that Cottonmouth owns. He doesn't like to be called Cottonmouth, and I don't know why. They said we'll something about it in the second episode, but... We'll, we'll get there. I fell asleep. Yeah. Uh, not because it was boring. My body just gave out. It's like, he, it's late. He hates the Cottonmouth <laughs> I do hate the Cottonmouth Yeah. <laughs> so uh, does Cottonmouth. He's like, God yeah. damn it, you guys. <laughs> I had a perfectly good name, and then you had to do that puff, puff, pass bullshit. Uh, the tone of it, the, the tone of it and the storytelling style. It's hard. It's so different than what we've come to expect. Yeah. Um, it's We're, it's not quite black exploitation. I don't think. It certainly feels that way in the sense of like that 70s unapologetic just hard ass storytelling you know like this ain't your this ain't your white ass adventure like this is is difficult this is like a black man coming up out of prison nobody gives a crap about him he's a mountain of a man but he's trying to just fit in you know and like oh man i loved it 
I, they they paid attention. It's not straight black exploitation, but they definitely paid attention right. to things like Shaft and Dolomite, and you know where this sort of hard edged black exploitation pulp came from, and adapted it to a very new slick package without making it feel very you know superhero or martial arts like Daredevil or detective noir like Jessica Jones. Like this is something else. And this is a story of a hard ass dude that is going to lay down justice with his fists. And by the way, he's a bulletproof. <laughs> right. It's awesome. Oh, and the ladies love him. The oh, ladies yeah. love he's him. Luke sexy as hell. Are you kidding me? He is sexy. I kind of love him. I love him. Uh, they, they do touch on the influences of the show. I don't remember if it's in the first episode or the second. I got about halfway through the second before I had to stop. But there's a sequence between uh, Luke and Pop where they're discussing black heroes from literature. Yeah. Like um, Kenyatta yeah. uh, was a name that they mentioned. And so they're drawing their influences from a lot of sources, but I think they're drawing a lot from literature yeah. uh, as opposed to movies that we may be familiar with from the seventies. Um, well, and that's where it sets us apart. This is a smart black experience. It's very smart. Yeah. yeah. It's not, they're not going for like simple references, like dropping, you know, NWA, you guys have heard of them, right? You know, they're digging and it's really well written. It's really well acted. It's another fantastic Netflix show. I can't wait for them to introduce Iron Fist. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to get that in this show. I think so. I wonder if I we think are. So. I think it wasn't the rumors. He's going to show up towards the end. I'm pretty sure. Maybe. I mean, I'm sure there might be people out there that already know, but uh, we do not know right now. The Marvel references it's not have our been, business to know. It's not like we host a podcast. Well, We've only seen the first episode <laughs> yeah. the, right now. The Marvel references have been slight, but not. Um, I feel like Daredevil kind of bent over backwards to not reference anything in the Marvel Cinematic Universe yeah. other than like. There's a newspaper on the wall that details the attack on New York. Well, this one had the guy selling a, like a this DVD. This guy was selling like bootleg DVDs yeah, of, like of the, the incident, the which incident was the, in New York. Yeah. yeah. Um, they kept, uh, they keep talking about um, Luke using his powers for good, like those guys uptown. Yeah. Uh, so they definitely are in the Marvel universe, making references to all the things that are happening. Uh, Turk is in it from Daredevil yeah. and Jessica Jones. Yeah. Uh, and I love that he's like the through line through all these shows. Yeah, it's great. I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to more. I wish I could have watched more last night, um, but right now I think it's awesome. I think you should check it out. Um, buy it. <laughs> buy it, Jive Turkey. <laughs> that is the big news for this week. If you like to talk about these stories and all the other Netflix originals that we ignored, you can hit us up on the Two-Headed Nerd forums in the big news section. But right now, but right now it's time for the biggest, blackest, baddest man in the question of the week business. Joe Patrick, who <laughs> posts the question of the week in everyone's favorite digital nerd street fight, the THN forums. Joe Patrick. I'm just saying they're, they're, like, there's a line somewhere and you're dancing soups close to what? it. You're big, you're black, you're bad, you're ironclad. <laughs> Joe Patrick, what are we asking these nerds this week? This week's question comes from our good friend and occasional D&D buddy, Patrick Kavanaugh. With a hat tip to a couple forum users who also danced around a very similar idea. I think uh, current Gujar D. Murray was one of them. Patrick asks, quote, What ongoing comic series do you think has overstayed its welcome and should end? Alternatively, what completed ongoing 
do you think went on for far too long? So are they answering both or one or the other? I think if they have an answer for both, that's fine. But But if you can't answer one, answer the other. Yeah. I mean, like what book, what book went on too long? Let's say this. Pick one and answer it. Pick one. Sure. And answer it. Which, which comic series, whether it's still going or ended. Because I want you to get into it. I don't want. Overstayed its welcome. I don't want two real short answers. I want you to get into one of them. Pick one and answer it. There you go. You have until 5 o'clock Central Standard Time this coming Friday, October 7th. To get us your answer, you can call the Ziggurat hotline. It's 402-819-4894. You can leave us a message there. If you're not busy cracking skulls in the ghetto, you can send us an MP3. That goes to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Whatever you choose to do, you've got two minutes to do it. We will cut you off. Google will cut you off. So that's just how it is. If you need more time, or if you have more answers... That you'd like to elaborate on You can head to the THN web forums That's where we get the question of the week That's where we discuss the question of the week That's where we post all of our thoughts About all of our episodes Pop culture happenings Life, the meaning of everything Yeah, yeah. Then you can tune in next Thursday To hear you and your fellow listeners On the THN Answer of the Week podcast It is review time in the Ziggurat, where Joe and I shake down two of this week's comics to get the scoop on some real low-down mothers slinging angel dust to kids. Joe, slap this fool around, will ya? It's real, honestly. Yeah! Dial it back. No! Because this is not your story to tell. Up yours, honky! (laughs) (laughs) I'm real sorry. I am reviewing Teen Titans. I'm bringing honky back. I feel like honky is going to (laughs) play. I'm reviewing Teen Titans Rebirth, number one from DC Comics, written by Ben Percy with art by John Boy Myers. It's 32 pages for $2.99. Now, I have been very critical of DC's various Teen Titans books for a long time now, even before the New 52. After Jeff Johns left the series back in around, I don't know, 2007, 2008, the book just kind of floundered for a number of years up to the most recent New 52 versions. Yeah, talk about a book that overstayed its welcome. Yeah, that I found insufferable. Here, writer Ben Percy is starting from the ground floor and rebuilding the team from scratch with a mix of classic characters and new characters carrying on classic traditions. Percy checks in with each member of the new team individually, where we get a sense of their personality and powers before they're attacked by unrevealed assailants. Beast Boy is a washed-up Hollywood C-lister desperate for attention, hiding behind his humor and showmanship. I was happy to see that Beast Boy, while obviously still very young, was portrayed as older than, say, Kid Flash or Damien. Yeah. Because he talks about drinking and he's throwing his own party. Well, and I feel like they kind of did that with everybody here a little bit. It seems like everyone... Well, Starfire is definitely an adult. Starfire and Beast Boy are are legal adults. Right. On the team. They are no longer teens. Right. So, yeah, Beast Boy is closer in age to Starfire, who actually has a personality beyond alien sex spot or naive visitor, as she's been portrayed so often in past years. All credit to Paul Miotti and Amanda Connor and their Starfire book, which I did not read, but I heard was very good. They did a lot of work with that character. It was definitely an improvement. I think they were just hamstringed by where the DCU was at the time. And sure. This Starfire is still alien. She sees the world differently, but she's been here a while, so she's not a blank slate. Raven is still the troubled teen haunted by her heritage that I remember. Raven, I think, is still a teen year, uh, is still a teen because she's had a lot of things happen where she's died and come well, back to life. And well, stuff. and in her book, she's definitely a teen. High schooler, right? Yeah, no doubt. 
We just reviewed it last week. Yes, you did. Yes. And Wally is learning to enjoy his new role as Kid Flash. This is Wally West the the second. I don't know. <laughs> He's Wally West the other. Wally West. Wally West Jr. Well, Black Wally. So say it. <laughs> Black Wally. I don't know. He's, Black Wally. He's his own person. He's Wally. Yeah, he's Black Wally. Got it. Percy does a fine job fleshing out the characters with just a few pages each, and they all have distinct personalities with a depth that I found missing from Teen Titans comics for a while. The ending comes with a twist that I probably should have seen coming. I didn't. I didn't either. I don't know how and I didn't. Because of how Percy paced the story yeah. and introduced things. Yeah. And I was getting I, a little pissed. I was like, I, what? Come on. I didn't see it coming. And it had it turned out another way, I would have been pissed. That's all due to how Percy paced the story. The solicit does totally give it away. The solicit. The solicit. But I forgot the solicit. I didn't read the solicit. <laughs> so, I didn't read the solicit before I read it. Totally forgot. And I didn't put it in this review. The solicit doesn't totally give it away. It but totally it, gives it away. It gives enough away that if you had re- just read that, you would know it would probably. Yes. Uh, telegraph the end. Yes. But the way I read it, I had a ton of fun with it. John Boy Myers, his art is ultra stylized and kinetic. His characters flow between traditionally posed to super exaggerated. And it just kind of like flipping a switch. Yeah, I thought John Boy did a really good job. It, it seems for too long they've been trying to walk that line between the cartoon Titans and the comic book Titans and where they should intertwine. And I thought Myers did a really nice job of capturing the animated feel but still making it look very DCU, very adult. Yeah, very, like, uh, like it didn't feel childish, but I'll it did feel cartoonish. Where I definitely noticed how he was switching so easily was the Starfire pages. Yes. Because those are played more or less completely straight. Yeah. Uh, like tr- traditional comic art. Very much so. Um, still with his own style, of course. Right. But then you get to scenes with uh, the villain. Well, uh, anything that's a little more lighthearted. Right. Is, with then it's uh, exaggerated right. in a fun way. Now, I might not be the biggest fan of his personal style, but yeah, but it works. I here. think, yeah, I think his work is high energy and it's a great fit for these characters. I'm with you. It works very well here. Ultimately, this was a simple building the team story, but I really enjoyed the execution. There are a couple of things that gave me pause, like not understanding what Raven's actual powers are at all. Yeah. The book refers to her as an empath, but she's teleporting and using mind control. It seems like a very Scarlet Witch style, whatever they needed to be kind yeah. of situation. And I'm pretty sure that they're jumping the gun with Wally in the Flash series. He's only just now starting to embrace his powers and train at Star Labs. And here he's pretty much a full fledged costumed hero. Yeah, but he is. He is still having trouble. obviously still new. Yeah. Like they, they have that scene where he's like, look, I just tried to like stop this bad guy and ended up running 118 blocks to come all the way around because I couldn't slow down. Right. So he's still learning. Right. But yeah, those are just minor hiccups in an otherwise enjoyable story. I was pleasantly surprised by Teen Titans Rebirth and I'm glad to have a Titans book worth reading again. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah. For the first time, like you said, in a long time, it feels like they are really humanizing these characters. A lot of these characters like I really liked how they approached black wally when he returns to the cops with the purse that was stolen and they're like that's the bad guy because he's a black dude well because he was all they saw was a teenager in a hoodie and and he's a teenager in a hoodie yeah and he's a black teenager in a hoodie and stuff like that is really happening right now in society that was really cool i like the washed up celebrity beast boy he's a jackass he's a drunk 
You know, he he's a womanizer as opposed to like he's just the wacky comic relief. <laughs> you know, right, I mean, he is still the wacky comic relief. He still but is, but he's a believable wacky comic relief. That it's masking the fact that like yeah. he's got nobody and he's yeah. got nothing. He's you got know no this career. guy. He's washed up Justin Bieber. I yeah. mean, at Starfire, very believable. I like that they are combining some of the older characters with some of the newer characters. And it looks like they're sort of going to teach the younger characters how to do this stuff. Eventually I'm guessing that's where they're going. Cause they show that everybody is sort of out of balance with their powers or learning where they're at, not quite certain of who they are. And the older characters have a hold on who they are and their powers and stuff, but have no real direction right now. And think, everyone's in kind of a weird place. Yeah. And the two will meet and sort of guide each other. And I've been thinking they should do that with the teen Titans for years, as opposed to trying to constantly recapture the magic of young justice or Jeff John's teen Titans run. Just come on, let's make it what it is. This is where we teach the next generation of heroes to be badasses. And well, it looks like they're going to the go thing there. Is, is that they've done this before. The Jeff John, yes. the premise of Jeff John's as teen Titans was the old guard. Yes. Starfire, cyborg beast boy bringing up the new generation, yeah. Superboy, wonder girl, uh, kid flash and making them heroes. The volume before that were the, which was not good. Yo, uh, the Devin Grayson, who Mark Buckingham Titans, which it was very beautifully drawn, very beautiful. Mark drawn. Buckingham at first. Yeah. Um, but again, that was the same thing where you had all the original Titans or the new team Titans. Um, and each one of them had a young counterpart. Well, that's what this book should be. And it and seems like they they're getting always back. lose track of it. Yeah. They're getting back to the magic of what makes the book. Good. Well, it looks like they are. So far, I'm with you. I'm giving it a buy it. I, I did not expect to enjoy this. I did. Uh, yet again, though, it is another rebirth special that is essentially Teen Titans number one. More or less. Don't let it bother you. Yeah. <laughs> Matt Bomb, I cannot wait to talk about Mama Mama Mask. Oh, you're in luck, Joe, because we're about to talk about <laughs> Mask Mobile Armored Strike Command Revolution number one. We are waist deep in the Revolution crossover, it seems. From IDW, it's written by Brandon Easton with art by Tony Vargas, 32 pages for $3.99. The short-lived and much over-ballyhooed G.I. Joe meets Transformers cartoon of the mid-80s returns to comics in a story that pits Mask against G.I. Joe and the Transformers. <laughs> of course, I'm talking about the Revolution storyline that is bringing all three of these properties together with Rom, Space Knight, and Micronauts to boot. On paper, it sounds like a wacky good time, right? I mean, IDW's been killing it with their Transformers and G.I. Joe comics for years now. Tom Scioli's Transformers vs. G.I. Joe is one of the most inventive and fun series I've ever read with these characters. So why not further strip mine my childhood and force all these properties in one universe? Just make it fun, okay? You forgot about Action Man. Oh, pardon me. How could I forget about Action Man? The British G.I. Joe. <laughs> yeah. Certainly the company that gave us Tom Scioli's Transformers vs. G.I. Joe and received both critical and commercial success understands that they can take a chance here with these lesser known properties and give readers something unique. And here's this word again, fun, right? Wrong. Instead, we get a completely grindingly serious take on the mask organization, complete with a leader that reveals himself to be a bad guy in the first three pages. But we knew he was a bad guy. It's Miles Mayhem. And then a Cobra operative a page and a half later. You can't. I in. actually kind of was pleasantly surprised when Dr. Mindbender showed they, up. They called him Dr. Bender. Like, give me a f Break. They called him Dr. Bender, but they also gave his real name, well, which yeah. was very confusing. And instead of drawing off the multi-ethnic group of characters from the original show, which featured 
an Asian character, a Native American character, a black character. Like they were, it was completely multi-ethnic. Easton gives us three of the original characters: Matt Tracker, who's now a black guy, Brad Turner, Julio Lopez, and Veronica Warfield. The four of them are barely fleshed out at all, other than to force the idea that Matt is an unbearable good guy and everyone else, including the four new Who's characters. somehow in trouble with the law. Good, an unbearable yeah. good guy that's yeah. somehow in like, trouble with the law. What did you do? Right. And everyone else is a bunch of unlikable jerks who don't care at all when one of their fellow trainees gets killed in a training exercise. I wasn't hoping for the best comic ever written, but this just feels like a missed opportunity. Truthfully, Mask Number One is fine in a predictable 90s action comic complete with art by a student of the J. Scott Campbell School of Comic Booking and very little plot. The masks aren't explained at all, and when we do see them in action, the scene doesn't make much sense. <laughs> then the masks are promptly taken off for a ridiculous training scene, which I guess is a flashback. And what are they being trained for again? I don't even really get it. So they're government operatives. They're being right. trained to be government operatives to combat the Transformers. Yeah, but they said not that you'll be dealing with that. They, he says no, it says that they're there to deal with the Cybertronian problem. Oh, whatever. Complete. This is complete with a two panel origin for the crooked general in charge, by the way, which is just ridiculous. So they tied, He's I believe like, they I tied Miles Mayhem into an old Hasbro property as well. Sort of. It. I don't know if it's... Like action team or adventure team or whatever it was called. I don't know. I'm not really sure. And then suddenly, as if the comic skipped a few pages or years and story points, the mask team shows up in full regalia at G.I. Joe headquarters. Not only Flashback was, over. <laughs> not only was the story thin on plot and characterization, but it was hard to follow, too, thanks to herky-jerky jumps in time. Like Revolution Number 1, Mask Revolution felt jumbled, forced, and soulless, and predictable. It's not even bad enough to deserve a leave it, just a meh and a low skim it. I, I just didn't care. Well, I don't know how that gets a skim it then. Because it's not a leave it, it's perfectly... I mean, it's not perfect, I shouldn't say perfectly. It is executed. It is boring, it is a comic book. It is a It is not a C. failure. Yeah, I mean, it is a C- minus. is what you I would call it. You filled in every bubble on the test. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You wrote your name right. You filled in all the bubbles. You barely passed. It's not a complete failure. It's just, I think it's just a missed opportunity more than anything else. So yeah. far, I'm not having any fun with Revolution. It just feels like another crossover that's thrown together. Yeah. You know, I haven't enjoyed Revolution as much as I there's was just hoping I would. There's nothing clever about it. Remember that episode of G.I. Joe we saw when we were kids when... Pardon me, episode of Transformers that we saw when we were kids where the bad guy that Megatron had hired turned out to be Cobra Commander. And he was like, they just don't make bad guys like they used to or whatever. And you were like, <laughs> oh, my God, the universe is connected. That's so cool. I mean, there is nothing clever about this. It's just all right. They're all together and they're going to fight. Go, you know, like, come on. Well, yeah, I mean, you know what? I had this say I had this problem with Revolution number one where yeah. it's like, OK, you've put all the characters in the same universe. That's right. fine. And now in order to generate this conflict that you feel that there should be, you have Scarlet right. reacting in a very irrational way where she is the field leader of a very elite team of government operatives. And she would know how to evaluate a threat. Right. Instead, she's just like, kill them all. Yeah. Get the rockets out and destroy Optimus Prime. Yeah. I'm like, well, I don't think that's how that would work. Um, Here you have... Uh, Miles Mayhem as the uh, trainer of the mask team, which I don't know if that's mask canon or no, not. No, no. Um, I, mean, I think it's an interesting take. 
It where, is. Where originally, like, he's training them. And they see that he's evil and they break away, whatever. I think it just could have been so much better executed. You say, like, Miles Mayhem is a is a cobra plant in the U.S. government who's like, G.I. Joe can't seem to figure this out, so we're starting our own team. We don't want your money. We're going to be better than G.I. Joe or whatever. And then they yeah. figure out, oh, f- we're working for a crooked guy. Is that rather than page one, I am a bad guy. Don't tell mask. <laughs> Twiddle my mustache. You know, like, come on. I, I agree that the whole thing where they actually use the masks didn't make any sense. Didn't make any f- sense. It took forever to even get to them. Yes. And then when they use them, it literally makes no sense. No. They say, and this is more or less a quote. They say, uh, your two masks have the same powers. Stiletto and uh, Gulliver. Yeah. Um, you can shrink and grow stuff. Except that's not what the stiletto mask does. It shoots spikes. Yeah. And in fact, it shoots a spike immediately following that. Yeah. And then like somebody, I guess, catches it and throws it at someone else. And I'm like, what is going on? And the other guy's like, I think I'm getting the hang of this. Like the hang of what? (laughs) What are you getting the hang of? Yeah, I'm with you, man. I wanted to like this a lot more. And I'm, I remain cautiously optimistic that it might be fun once it is over with the crossover. Yeah. It just. They're not paying because any attention. I like the mask concept. Like, if you're going to do this, just be silly with it. Go back to the stones that powered the masks and found these special people that could control them or whatever. Just do that. Just f- do it and lay it out, you know? But instead, it's like they're trying to reinvent it just enough to kind of make it feel like G.I. Joe and sort of work with G.I. Joe, but it doesn't make any f- sense, you know? Yeah. I'm giving it a skimming as well, not because I didn't... I Like, I didn't hate it. No. But I, I read it and I was like... Ugh. Yeah, this should have been better. Yeah. So that is a double buy it for Teen Titans Rebirth number one and a double skim it for Mask. Now it's time for you Mask Crusaders and washed up teen superheroes to head over to the THN forums and tell us just how wrong we got our reviews of these comics. I can't wait for the cops revival. Central Organization of Police yeah, Specialists. Proof. You think you can just march in here, huh? Fighting, <laughs> fighting crime in a future time. You got to pee. All right. <laughs> this week, Matt and I are celebrating Luke Cage's Netflix premiere by doling out some two-headed street justice of our own. Matt, let's can the jive and whoop some rat soup-eating turkey six ways to Sunday, baby. I'm going to unbutton a couple more of these buttons. You slip into your DB, pop that high collar, <laughs> and then we're going to review 10 more of this week's comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed, go! Frostbite, number one from DC. Joshua Williamson tells the story of a near future world plunged into an ice age where heat is power and brutal gangs roam the streets stealing it. It, it. Like you buy like little heat cubes and shit. I don't know. There's also a disease called frostbite that freezes people from the inside, and it isn't really well explained past that. Seems unnecessary, <laughs> really. Beautiful art by Jason. There's beautiful art here by Jason Sean Alexander, but none of his characters look very well dressed for an ice age. Like there's characters standing around in t-shirts and sh- like that doesn't make it look real cold outside. <laughs> frostbite is the first and maybe last book of the Vertigo Rebirth that I thought wasn't happening. Is there a Vertigo Rebirth? It says happening? Vertigo right on the cover. Well, it's a Vertigo. Vertigo is not dead. Oh, I thought Vertigo was just gone. No, no, no. Oh. Like, there's they just launched that Fable spinoff. That's Vertigo. Oh. There's, thought, there are, for some reason, I thought Vertigo was just gone. Unfollow. There's all sorts of Vertigo books. Though. Yeah, but I thought when they, like, canceled a bunch of that stuff, they were like, eh, Vertigo's in the can. You're nah, fired. Man. Whatever. Okay. Nah. Regardless, 
Scam it. It's clinging to life. Batman Beyond Rebirth, number one. Read it fast. You wrote a lot. <laughs> Boy, I hope you guys remember everything that happened in every Batman Beyond comic DC has ever published because writer Dan Jurgens doesn't bother explaining much. Sure, you get a recap of Terry McGinnis' origin from the original cartoons, but Jurgens makes constant references to the past five years worth of Beyond stories, and as a new reader, I was turned off by the lack of accessibility. Not that it's rocket science or anything I was able to keep up, but this is definitely not a rebirth. It's a continuation of the previous story aimed squarely at existing fans. The biggest draw for me was the art by the amazing Ryan Sook, who I can't help but feel is completely wasted is on this totally title. wasted here. While this wasn't my cup of tea, longtime fans of the character might find plenty to enjoy here, so I'm giving Batman Beyond Rebirth a skim it. Hot take, I don't care about Batman Beyond Comics, period. Hot take. I don't either. All right. I only read it because it's a number one and I like Ryan's. Love the cartoon. Leave it alone. He can pop up like in future stories or whatever. Fine. Doesn't need his own. I definitely don't need it to be the future of the DC universe. Hot take. Same way I feel about Spider-Man 2099 in the regular Marvel year. Don't need it. Oh, boy. Hot take. Those fighting words. <laughs> Micronauts Revolution, number one from IDW. You think I didn't care about Mask Revolution? Wait till you hear me not care about Micronauts Revolution. Cullen Bunn gives us this unfun and strangely drawn issue of Micronauts that reveals they've been living inside a giant Transformer the whole time. Cue the foghorn. Bad dialogue, odd art, and a plot that feels held together like by scotch tape. Micronauts Revolution gets a leave it. Titans, number three from DC. The no longer teen Titans are all up in the mystery of Wally West's return as the villain behind his disappearance is revealed. Though it's clear someone else is pulling his strings. This is straight up superhero action with plenty of nostalgia for old fans like me. Brad Booth's art, while not always great, has a fun energy that I enjoy. I can't I, deny it. I secretly love him. I can't <laughs> deny it. I just wish he'd draw backlash again. There are some things that I rolled my eyes at, like the continued existence of trucker cap Roy Harper. Yeah, stop it. And Dan Abnett's ham-fisted use of overt Watchmen references. It almost feels like they, I get it. they handed the script back to him like, Dan, Dan, you said at least five references, okay? <laughs> All right, I'll fart it in there. It's like he's trying to meet some kind of quota. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't going to win any awards, but I can't help but enjoy it. I was going to give this book a skim it, but I'm upgrading Titans number oh, three to a buy it. Skim it for no, me. No, because I like, I like, I legit like it. Whatever, whatever. Deadly class number 22 from Image. Rick Remender introduces a new freshman class to King's Dominion School for Young Assassins. This book is equal parts John Hughes' 1980s high school comedy and the most violent parts of your favorite Martin Scorsese films. <laughs> Remender's script oozes with style and believable late 80s references. Wesley Craig's art and stark colors are amazing with minimalist details that you will notice in every panel. I fell behind a Deadly Class. I'm catching up on it this weekend. I fuck love this book. Deadly Class gets a buy it. Josie and the Pussycats, number one from Archie. Thank you for not making me review this, you pervert. <laughs> Josie and the Pussycats are back courtesy of writers Marguerite Bennett and Cameron Diordio and artist Audrey Mock. Here, Josie is a failing solo act trying to hit it big, living with her flighty best friend Melody in Riverdale. When they meet the talented veterinarian Valerie, didn't know she was a vet. I didn't either. Josie finds the part of her sound that's been missing. This is the same style of lighthearted fun with a slightly mature twist that you've come to expect from the Archie revival. So she turns to Valerie and she's like, quit your veterinarian job. You want to make real money? It's in rock and roll. <laughs> I'm like, you, Josie. I don't know if she. I don't <laughs> know if she quits for her. Eight years. <laughs> I don't know if she quits her job or not. 
This is the same style of lighthearted fun with a slightly mature twist that you've come to expect from the Archer revival with lovely manga influence art by Audrey Mock. Manga. Manga. Uh, there's even a reprint of the uh, first Josie and the Pussycat story, which is not the first Josie story. It's the first time they meet Valerie and become a band. This is when they were like back in the 50s when they were a polka act, right? In Wisconsin, and they were all white. Josie didn't have anything to do with music in the in the beginning. Oh, really? Yeah, the writers even threw in a super deep cut reference for old fans in the form of Pepper, who is a bartender modeled after the original member of Josie's trio from back before they were ever musicians. Why do you know this? Because God. I grew up reading Archie reprints, and I had a bunch of stories that had Pepper instead of Valerie. Oh, God. There you go. I'm sorry, folks. Look, it's fun. Comics Next time on Josie and the Pussycats cast. <laughs> <laughs> comics about music can be really hard to pull off, just like comics about wrestling. But Josie and the Pussycats number one has a goofy charm that I really enjoyed. I'm giving it a buy it. So there. Tarzan, Planet of the Apes. Oh, Tarzan on the Planet of the Apes. Number go. one from Dark Horse. Who do you call to write this crossover? That's time has come. Why? Nightwing and Hex Slash writer Tim Seeley, of course. No time travel here. Suck it, Dynamite. This is just an Elseworld type story where Tarzan was raised by time displaced apes from the Planet of the Apes future. So maybe a little time travel. Fernando Dagnino is wonderful on art here and Seeley's script brings it all together. This is how you make two properties crossover. Tarzan on the Planet of the Apes was awesome, and it gets a buy it. Star Trek Waypoint, number one from IDW. Waypoint is an ongoing anthology series celebrating Star Trek's 50th anniversary, and I know how we usually get about anthologies, but this book was great from start to finish. It really was. First up is a Next Generation story by Donny Cates and Matt Chatter. Featuring everyone's favorite space BFFs, Jordy LaForge and Data. My favorite Star Trek buddies. Yeah. Ugh. I don't know if the status quo of the next gen crew has been established after their last movie, but the scenario here, like where the characters are at, it's really cool. Chatter's art is lovely, though the Enterprise doesn't really look like the Enterprise, but not so much. Plus, we get an oddly sweet classic Uhura solo story by writer artist Sandra Lands. If they can keep up this level of quality every month, then Star Trek Waypoint will be a must read for Trek fans. Buy it. Yeah, I loved it too. Assassin's Creed, The Last Descendants, Locus. Why don't you read that again? You sound like you're having a heart attack. Why are there so many damn subtitles? I don't know. I think it's a video game. Thing. I don't know if it is. Titans Assassin's Creed comics have been great, which is really saying something when it comes to video game comic adaptations. They're not very good usually. This one, however, gets a little bogged down in the story. Like the last couple of Assassin's Creed games, I might add, the plot has gotten really heavy and there is a ton of dialogue. Not bad dialogue, mind you, just a lot of it. In the end, we meet the team of Assassins investigating the Templars, and it's a good enough story with solid art, just a little slow. I'm giving it a high skim it. Doctor Strange, annual number one from Marvel. If you, like me, love a good Doctor Strange story but are woefully behind on his ongoing adventures, then this is the book for you. Picking up after his latest epic, Catherine Imanin and artist Leonardo Romero present a humorous tale about Doc and Wong trying to get the Sanctum Sanctorum repaired during an unexpected visit from Steve's estranged wife, Clea. It's lighthearted fun with a dramatic touch and great art by Romero, plus a backup kicking off the secret origin of the Ancient One by Robbie Thompson with beautiful art by Jonathan Marks 
Baravecchia, which is going to carry over into the new series, Doctor Strange and the Sorcerer's Supreme. Okay. Coming soon. All right. Everything you need to know and enjoy these stories is right here, and I liked it a lot. Doctor Strange Annual number one gets a bias. Isn't it fun to read good annuals again? Yes. It's been years. Yes. speed round and but damn is your onomatopoeia of the week and the sound of tommy grayling's six shooter as seen in the pages of assassin's creed last descendants locus number one kind of a funny noise for a gun right but damn yeah if you want even more reviews of this week's comics head over to twoheadednerd.com and check out the straight shooting aaron myers and his ludicrous speed reviews and remember you can pick up these and all the rest of this week's new comics through our new Amazon button at twoheadednerd.com. It's a great way to get your funny books and support the show. And you can buy whatever you want there. Thanks to the guy that bought the five gallon uh, lube. That's awesome. You know, yeah. we got a little kickback. From a that. nice kickback, really. Yeah. <laughs> This week in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, Joe and I are focusing our cheese onto things of iron. <laughs> and when I say things, I'm not talking about our fists. Zing! Joey! These green silk PJs really show off a- All right, that is enough. <laughs> My pick for next week is Shipwreck number one from Aftershock Comics, written by Warren Ellis. I was talking about our erection. Yeah, we all got it, buddy. Hey-o. With art by Phil Hester and Eric Gabster. This looks great. They were just in town for panel exploration. They were. A couple weeks ago. You missed it. So did you. Yes, I did. <laughs> it's 32 pages for $3.99. I was at work at least, okay? <laughs> we all have, we all got on. we all got lives. Uh-huh. Here's the solicit. Dr. Jonathan Shipwright, sole survivor of a very unusual and very secret shipwreck, doesn't know where he is. I really wish his name was Shipwreck. <laughs> no, Dr. He's... Jonathan Shipwreck, sole survivor of a very unusual and very secret shipwreck. <laughs> Seemingly trapped on an endless road in pursuit of a saboteur who holds the key to his salvation or doom. Industry legend Warren Ellis joins Aftershock Comics. You don't have to read that. Sounds awesome. Sounds awesome. It's mysterious and captivating and full of shocks, secrets, and surprises. Phil Hester and Warren Ellis. Just buy it. Eric Gabster? Yeah. He's a great artist. Don't tell me anything else. Just buy it. Eric posted a piece on twitter that he drew of the legion of superheroes that he did just for practice oh i did not see that and he's a great twitter follow though yeah and i was so thrilled by it it was amazing he is a great twitter follow matt what is this ridiculous thing that you picked my pick for next week is the first part of the league of extraordinary kurt russells it's big trouble in little china escape from new york number one from Boom, written by Greg Pack with art by Daniel Bayless. 32 pages, $3.99. Here's your solicit. It's the mother of all crossovers as Jack Burton and Snake Plissken meet for the first time ever anywhere. And the best part is they look exactly alike. They are not pulling any They couldn't punches. have called this thing Escape <laughs> from Little China? I don't know. Done with director John Carpenter's complete blessing. Witness the melee of the <laughs> mullets as two classic cult characters make, made famous by actor Kurt Russell crossover in an improbable adventure. As lightning cascades around Jack and his good old Pork Chop Express, he finds himself transported and driving through the horrors of what seems to be a dystopian future 
of Escape from New York. Snake Plissken catches wind of Jack and goes on the hunt to find who is trying to steal his identity. I like they're just not even f***ing around. They're like, hey, you look just like me. <laughs> Prepare for the road trip of a lifetime with Jack and Snake rumbling down the streets of a dystopian future to find what craziness caused Jack to jump through worlds. Greg Pack is writing this, man. And Daniel Bayless is a great artist. I think this is going to be fun as hell. Who's Daniel Bayless? He's the artist of Kennel Block Blues. Yes, yes. That book is great. He's really, really good. Joe Patrick. What's the THN trade of the week this week? The THN trade of the week is the Soft City hardcover graphic novel from New York Review Comics. Interesting. I don't never know. heard of it. No. It's written and illustrated by Heriton Pushwagner. Wow. <laughs> Move over, Matt Chatter. Heriton Pushwagner's here. <laughs> it's 160 pages for $35, <laughs> which does not sound like a deal, but. He sounds like a proper English Klingon. Uh, in fact, he's Norwegian. <laughs> oh, okay. Here's your solicit. The only graphic novel by the legendary Norwegian pop artist Heriton Pushwagner. Pushwagner? Sure. Completed in 1975, lost for decades, and never before published in the United States, is a scathing masterpiece in the tradition of Brazil and a brave new world, but with an off-kilter beauty all its own. Push Wagner gives us an epic, exuberantly intricate vision of a single day in a world gone wrong, a brightly smiling, disturbingly familiar dystopia of towering skyscrapers, omnipresent surveillance, and endless distant war. Every face looks like the next, and language itself has gone soft. Clean bomb the happy way! Blair's the morning paper. What? Kyle Hilton barks an overlord on the news. Whoa. Welcome to Soft City. Now don't be late for work. That sounds crazy. Yeah, I know. That's why I picked it. Wow. Um. So I have never heard of this artist, well, but I was looked lost him up. forever. I guess. Right, but he was an. It's the graphic novel was lost, oh, but okay, he was okay. a famous pop artist in he the seventies. Not lost. No. Okay. Uh, and uh, his artwork is wonderful cool. it's amazing cool and so this is kind of a dystopia you know brazil style let's see if we can get a copy of this i will do that okay. um 160 pages for 35 bucks does not sound like a huge deal but yeah. it's a hardcover yeah. it's fancy yeah it's from the new york review whatever that is i don't know we're dumb news to me yeah too highbrow for this show i'll tell you what <laughs> Speaking of which, Joey, I heard that if our chi stays focused for more than four hours, we're supposed to call Doctor Strange. We should probably <laughs> call it a day here and head over to the Two-Headed Nerd forums to read about what our loyal listeners are excited to read next week. Every now and then, Matt and I get lazy and decide to let you guys do the work on this show. This time, our roving reporter, Ryan Mount, a.k.a. Hebrews, takes on the Ask a Nerd duties. As you may have heard, John Lehman's chew is coming to an end and he doesn't want to talk about it. But that didn't stop Ryan from poking the bear when he sat down for a conversation with Lehman at the Cincinnati Comic Con. Cool. Hey, it's Ryan for Two-Headed Nerd. I'm here with Chew creator John Lehman, but we will not be talking about Chew. <laughs> okay. Hey, how are you? 
know you said you were holding off interviews. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about uh, why you're not talking about Chew and how you want people to experience oh, the end? You know, I, I just don't want to color what the last issues are going to be. Like, I want people to have their own interpretation and love it or hate it without me, you know, saying this is what it was, you know, meant to be. Uh, so, yeah, I figure some point down the line I'll do kind of some autopsy on it. Where, but I want, I want it, you know, I want people to go into it with their own feelings and not a bunch of bias from, you know, my bull****. <laughs> so, Chew is, wrap, is wrapping up. Uh, it's a long form, and a lot of people are saying it is the uh, last of the great long form storytelling. You know, never say never in comics, but the market has changed, and it's harder and harder. Things get rebooted faster and faster from the Marvel and DC side, and I, I think I think that's like stones in a pool, and, and everything is feeling ripples, and I, uh, you know, retailers have a shorter attention span, readers have a shorter attention Span. They they're getting used to seasons, which seems to be the new thing. But yeah, Chew is ending at issue sixty, and I don't know what the next book. You know, Revival will get big numbers and then end. You know, Saga certainly will go on for as long as it wants. But what's what's the next book that gets to sixty? I don't know. Me either. Uh, it's it's certainly fascinating, but I don't think we nearly get the type of character uh, depth and weight. Uh, from a 6 to 12 issue mini. Yeah, but if if this thing works, the, 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 the seasons, you get 12 issue season 1, 12 issue, like, the books can, in theory, go on for 60. It's just, it, it's almost like, uh, legit, uh, like, like, it's almost like linguistics, like you're, this, this is season 2, issue 6, and it's like really 18, but you're calling it, you know, season 2 to get the low numbers, so you can get that number 1 to get the retailers back in there. So, I don't know. I mean... So I'm we won't sure be seeing point. another uh, Chew 27 come out any yeah. time. Yeah, and I mean, I certainly won't do a new another 60 issue thing. You know, that was that was my marathon, and I don't want to run this long a race again. So you do uh, most of the lettering, or all the lettering, all the lettering for, all the lettering for Chew. Um, have you really taken a look at other books or other lettering? Was it something that came naturally? Uh, I know for myself, it can be a great story, but if you throw in somebody that's just not a great lettering, it just takes oh, me right yeah, out of it. Bad. No one notices good lettering, but, but bad lettering can, can ruin a book. And I was, um, God, this, this is like layman's life story because I was um, I was like Jimmy Olsen at the local newspaper before comics. We're talking like early 90s. And I uh, eventually did like stock charts, like pie charts and the weather page with like maps and stuff and I used uh, Freehand which was like Illustrator. And uh, then I became an assistant editor and an editor and you're doing balloon placements and uh, there's points when you had to get books out on Friday and the letterer would be MIA and you needed to get corrections done or the book was going to be late. It's like wait, I, I know these programs from my old job, so I used to go in and start making corrections myself. And, I, and as an editor, you're already doing the balloon placements and figuring out where they, they went. And, you know, I got into the raw files and saw how how they did it. And then uh, I'm like, I can do this. And when I got my own book, I'm like, well, I'm going to letter this, because a letter makes 10 bucks, 15 bucks, 20 bucks a page, tops, if, if that. And they're 
they're trying to make as much money like we all are, you know, as fast as they can. They're burning through pages. But if it's your own book and you're not working by the hour, and you know, I will spend I'll spend 45 minutes on a sound effect because it's my own book. You know, I'll be watching TV, but just like noodling, you know, sound effect, with lots of grads, and lots of layers, and nobody who's not working on their own book is going to put that that much love into a sound effect. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So it's, it's it's a different brain space than writing. So I can kind of like turn my brain off and just kind of zen out to like you know lettering while I'm you know kind of thinking about writing in the background. Uh, you know I can, I can do it with the TV on. I can do it with, with music on. Whereas if I'm writing, I can't do any of that. Like it's concentration. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, let everybody know where we can find you. Well, I'm at Cincinnati Comic Con until two, uh, and, and I, I'm on uh, Twitter as the Mighty Layman, and uh, pretty easy to find there. And uh, and you know, I'm I'm at six or seven cons a year. All right, thank you so much. Sort of break it break it down like this. And that is it for THN episode 266. If you dig podcasts that use slave labor to fill segments, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes. He volunteered. It says you. Or your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, leave us your star ratings, reviews, thumbs up, or your little hearts because it puts us directly in front of other new listeners. It's the best way to help this show. Thank you to our newest donor, Mike, who is also the guy that has supplied us with some kick-ass fan art over the last few years. Yeah. Uh, the current two-headed nerd Facebook logo, I believe, is his piece. Nice. It's also our Twitter background. You can check it out. He's very talented. He really is. If you want to support the show, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com. And to become a sustaining member, simply check the box that says make this donation monthly when you donate. As little as a buck a month helps us a lot, and if you're one of those poor bastards that doesn't have a local comic shop, you can go to twoheadednerd.com to the show notes for the this and other recent episodes and click our Amazon affiliate link. And from there, you can shop for all of your funny books. Or whatever else. Or whatever else. Yeah. It's just like a portal that takes you to Amazon. We get a little kickback. Anything you buy while you're there. You don't even have to buy your comics. Support your local comic shop. Buy other crap there. Yeah. Awesome. Bingo. If you want to send us a sketch of the two-headed nerd as you picture us, you can send it to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. And if you want to connect with us, head over to twoheadednerd.com where you can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Tumblr, and more importantly, the Ziggurat Hotline. 402-819-4894. Use that number to answer the question of the week or to play along with any of our segments. If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can subscribe to our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bomb's Spotify profile. And don't forget to attach the names of the music you use in your answers of the week. So we can save that for the answer of the week, bro. I'm just going to listen to this, too. Come on. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Joe's boss, Chas. Who started listening? Oh, sorry, it's Chaz. I messed up. My bad. Who started listening to the show last week, and now he's shotgunning episodes of THN like a drunk at happy hour. Word to you, and welcome aboard, buddy. We'll try not to say anything that'll get Joe fired. At least Joe will. Until next time, <laughs> true believers. Remember to pre-order your comics, or your retailer just might call your boss and tell him about the filth you've been reading. This is a two-headed nerd. Signing off. I keep my filth to my own time. <laughs> <laughs>